Welcome back to When You Love a Prodigal. If you love a prodigal, you can discover help and hope for your wilderness journey right here at When You Love a Prodigal, and also help and hope for your own life journey. Today, we have a very special guest. Dana Russo is a longtime friend of mine. We go way back. Way <laughs> and, back. Um, way back. <laughs> she has made beautiful music for large and small audiences over decades, and I have been so blessed by her beautiful voice that you have given her. And she has turned some loss and grief in her own life into a powerful, compassionate ministry to others, to people like you and me who love a prodigal. Dana, in her growing in her efforts to serve people who are really experiencing grief and loss, um, founded with her husband, with him, or you all just are now working together? We're now working together. Okay. Um, a, a ministry called Hope Rises, and we all know how much hope matters to us. And she calls herself a companion in grief. And I I love that. Uh, she's got credentials. So she's a social worker minister, uh, degree and certifications in death and grief care and four decades of walking along hurting hearts gives her a wealth of experience. And you can read even more detail about her licenses and her background and her family, and the show notes. But I want us to hear from her rather than my talking so much. She loves that she has two grown children, and they're married, wonderful spouses. That's always nice and not always true. Uh, And a two-year-old grandbaby and another one on the way. And you know that's my big heart right now is grandchildren. So... Welcome, Dana. Thank you. I'm so glad much. you could come. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. So, uh, let's just get right into this mm-hmm. and tell us about Hope Rises. That's a great sounding name. Where did that come from, and what is it? Well, it came from an image in my mind that I've actually seen personally, but a a blackened forest that you know wildfires had gone through. And despite all probability, there were these little seedlings of green coming up. And I've always sensed that that's a picture of people who are walking in grief. And so that image is a big part of why the name Hope Rises, that kind of despite everything, hope can come out of just the most horrid circumstances. So we provide services for those who are experiencing grief or those who feel alone, stuck, wounded, or just immobilized in life. We can experience grief with death losses or loss of a job, relationship, or when a loved one makes choices that breaks our hearts. Uh, Many Many non-death losses are tied to losing our hoped-for future. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. Yes. So, well, so you call, you said 
you can help people when they feel sad, mm-hmm. but it's more than that. So mm-hmm. if grief is not sadness, what is it? I think our culture has equated grief and sadness. It definitely includes sadness, but it's so much more. Grief is all the conflicting feelings that we experience when there's been an end of or change in a familiar pattern or behavior. Basically, anytime we experience a significant loss or disruption or change, we might experience grief. It's not just about death loss. It's more tied to love. And how does grief present itself for the most part? Well, it presents itself in a wide variety of ways. In thinking about those with prodigal children, Dr. Pauline Boss coined a term a few years ago called ambiguous loss. Right. And some people find it helpful to know that there's a name for what they're experiencing. Uh, One type of this ambiguous loss is where the person is physically absent, but psychologically present, such as, say, a kidnapping or disappearance, a divorce, perhaps even incarceration. So physically absent, but they have a psychological presence for you. A second type of ambiguous loss is when the person is physically present, but there's a psychological absence. This is basically when someone we love becomes someone we barely recognize. You know, this might be due to uh, mental illness, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injuries, or the effects of substance abuse. This person looks like your son or daughter but they seem to be a different person altogether. Physically present, but psychologically, who they were is gone. And in this situation, you are actually grieving someone who's still alive. Ultimately, ambiguous loss is a relational loss. Uh, It's an ongoing type of loss. It doesn't seem to have an end. And ultimately, it's a loss of control. There's no easy fix or solution. Oh, yeah, that. (laughs) Control. (laughs) Well, I know many people with prodigals suffer that exact thing that you're talking about often because their kids grow up or a spouse Mm -hmm. or, you know, a family member or sibling. And then they either on their own make very different choices. They Mm -hmm. really reject what they've known and Or they, like, get married to someone who has a different view, who pulls them away. And really, I can't tell you how many I, stories I hear of people who, like, mm-hmm. they, I don't know where they are. They won't talk mm-hmm. to us anymore. Yeah. And it's their own choice or it's the influence of someone yes. else. And it's devastating. And some, it's years, and they've gotten no word. And they have grandchildren that they have never seen. And Mm. so those are very painful losses. Yeah. And because in our American culture, we've kind of identified loss as just death loss. We we don't recognize that we're actually in grief. Yeah. So what are some symptoms that you are in grief? You might not even know it, but... Right. Yeah. In this situation, you just, you feel like, well, it's a hopeless situation. Of course, I'm sad or of course I'm frustrated or of course I'm tired. 
But grief is a normal response to an abnormal loss. And so when this happens, it can affect us in the five domains of life. It can sometimes impact us physically. It may impact our sleep, positive or negative, and impact our appetite. Many people talk about feeling so lethargic. They just have no energy, extreme fatigue, or their body just feels super heavy. So it can impact you physically, of course, emotionally. You're experiencing an underlying sadness, or sometimes it comes out in some people as a restlessness or an irritation. C.S. Lewis said after the loss of his beloved wife, he said, I did not know that grief felt so much like fear. So a lot of people experience fear in grief, and many might feel anger, especially in these situations. I would think anger would come out sometimes. Yes, and anger in grief is a protest emotion. It's, you know, it's saying, this isn't right, this can't be happening. I refuse to accept this. (laughs) Yes, yes, you're protesting. But in grief, down underneath all of that anger, anger is crying out. I want back what I lost. And so there's a lot emotionally that's happening inside a person. Grief can impact us cognitively. You may find yourself misplacing things more often or forgetting appointments or struggling to stay focused in a meeting. (laughs) Or other reasons for those things. (laughs) Well, yes, I was about to say some of us, it's our age that brings that on. But yeah, just a lack of being able to focus or, or feel like you're kind of walking through a deep fog where you just can't make sense of things. Everything's kind of fuzzy. They've done a lot of studies on the brain of those who are in bereavement. And it shows that the brain is literally not firing on all cylinders. It's literally breaking down. And so that can impact you cognitively. Socially, grief causes us to perhaps want to pull away or disengage or withdraw, even from spouses or those most close to you. So it can feel very lonely. And then the fifth domain is it might impact you spiritually may find it hard to pray or read the Bible, or it may impact the kind of relationship you thought you had with God. Now you've got some big questions for him that he's just not quite who you thought he was. That he can allow this to happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and it can impact that you you lose vision for people who are in ministry. Some people, I just like, I just don't have the vision that I once had. And part of that is grief. Yeah, I can think of it being just a, it just stops you. Hmm. It's like, I can't go on because this loss is so great. And I'm in such pain that we lose the hope, which Mm -hmm. is why Hope Rises is such a good name for for what you're doing. But we lose hope that there's a future. We can't picture it without this person or this person as they were or as we hoped they would be. We find that more of our families are dealing with prodigals who are actually past their teens. They may have started then, but the real pain comes when they're young adults and you have really no control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, But that uh, 
you think that's not the way we raised them. And right. um, and so that's also a grief that we feel that's like a failure, mm-hmm. that we must have failed for mm-hmm. that to have happened. And that's mm-hmm. also just very grief-inducing Absolutely. to feel like we failed right. in our most important job, kind of, mm-hmm. raising a human being. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a loss. Again, that lost of your hoped-for future. Yeah. Um, and it's just a constant reminder that, wow, you can do everything the best you know how, and your son or daughter still has a very independent yes, life and mind. <laughs> so what do we do with this grief? Mm. How do we keep going? How do we handle it or find a way forward? Well, one, we need to recognize that grief is not our enemy. You just mentioned that everything, you know, kind of slows down. It's it's suspended. It's kind of, it's you, you're in a different time, almost in a time warp sometimes. Mm-hmm. And all those symptoms that I described, if you think about each one of those domains of life, all those symptoms are trying desperately to get us to slow down. And so one of the things we can do is recognize that grief is is trying to share something with us. It's trying to get our attention. It's not trying to harm us. Denying or distracting yourself from grief only delays and complicates any kind of integration of this new reality. As the saying goes, if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> and so we need to come into this right relationship with our sadness and our sorrow and our grief. How do you do that? Yeah, well, most people don't want a relationship with grief. I'll just start <laughs> there, <laughs> right? True. <laughs> We'd rather go get a root canal than, you know, saddle up to grief. It's kind of like, no, that's, that's more pain. We think it's more pain. But the reality is it's just exposing our pain. And in America, we're so consumed with this excessive positivity, the mindset that you should never be sad or you should always look on the bright side. And for those who are spiritually inclined, you know, well, God always has a reason. And so we we just feel like we're not allowed to have sorrow. It's toxic. I mean, this kind of mentality is toxic. And we need to remember that pain is trying to get our attention. Now, for those who maybe cut themselves, it's the pain that draws our attention to the fact that, oh, I need something. I probably need stitches. I could bleed to death. So pain is important. And also recognize that grief and mourning are different. In our culture, we kind of use them interchangeably, I think. Uh-huh. But grief is all those internal feelings that we have on the inside. Mourning is what I call grief gone public. <laughs> it's getting those emotions from the inside outside. Grief is needing movement. And so there's a few things that we can do. I'll, I'll list a couple right now and then we can share a couple later. But First, we need to name it. We need to call it out, give it a name. This is my grief. 
and admit that you've lost something really precious to mm-hmm. you, whether it was someone who died or a broken relationship, loss of dreams. We need to name all those, list them out. And once you begin to do that, you realize, oh, oh, maybe that's part of what I've been carrying around all this time. A word of caution here, we each have an internal grief meter that subconsciously kind of scales our pain to someone else's. Well, at least my son's still living. At least my oh, daughter yes. is still in People my house. People do that at all least, the time. Yeah. And so we do that, I guess, trying to just recognize it could be worse. However, the danger in shared grief is, and, and in those comparing of losses, it's not giving your own heart permission to grieve. Your loss is your loss. It's turned your world upside down. And so it's important to think through like what has ended or changed or what was I hoping for that hasn't happened? Some people have a hard time just kind of, you know, writing down a list, but answering some of those questions, I assure you the arrow of grief always points to what's most important to us. So we need to name them. Can you explain that? Well, because grief is tied to love, if we have loved and attached, when that thing is taken away, we will probably experience grief. And so if you can't get in your mind, what is grief? I'm not going to name my grief. Well, that, oh, that's a silly little thing. Like they're not going to be home this Christmas and it's going to change things. No, that's. That's a grief. That is a loss. And it's loss because you love them and you want them in your home or you want a family that feels whole or whatever the case may be for you. And so grief is surfacing so many symptoms to tell us things are not normal. And many people try to keep those emotions under check. And so secondly, what we need to do is feel those emotions. Again, People in our positive culture uh, don't want to feel sad. We don't want to feel stuck. We don't want to feel these depressive feelings. But it's only right that you feel sorrowful when your loved one is. is making these decisions. It is a human response of love that is not being, you know, love you know, not being given back in, in the same way that you are, are longing for it. And so many people in our culture, we numb it. We either get busy, we veg out on Netflix or binging gaming. Some turn to or food. alcohol, a food. Some turn to alcohol, substance abuse, anything to numb the pain. But mm-hmm. Brene Brown wisely cautions us, when we numb the dark, we also numb the light. And so our emotions are not the problem. We fear sometimes that if we give in to our feelings, that we'll get stuck. But the opposite is actually true. The more you push grief away, the more it wants to cling. <laughs> it's like lint on black slacks, you know. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just kind of wants to cling. And it wants to be acknowledged. And it wants to be felt for a couple things. And, you know, naming our losses engages our mind which is good. Feeling our grief engages our emotions, but it's not enough to actually just feel the emotions. Third, we 
need to express them. Yes. There's a friend whose husband died of COVID who's Mm. expressing her grief well with beautiful poetry that Mm. she's sharing with the world. Mm. They're learning. Everyone else is. But for her, it's how she's handling this. It's still been very, very hard for her. But she's doing that to to express it. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's hard, though. And you're right as far as our culture. You know, I've been in almost every part of the world. And Mm -hmm. um, when they have grief, it's not quiet. Uh, They talk about it, but they mourn. When you look in biblical times and they would wail and Mm -hmm. everything because it's a great loss. And um, we, as you've said, don't tend to do that. In our more Western world, we hide, push it down, and not acknowledge it. So mm-hmm. that's that's hard. It is, and like your friend being able to write and express again, grief needs movement. And so, if she can write and express herself that way, many people find it helpful to be physically active. The arts, yeah, writing or or painting or dancing or anything to kind of just get. I heard of a place that I'm I'm so anxious to visit. I read about it right as COVID hit a couple years ago, but a local place here that is a boxing club, and I'm not normally the type that would be drawn to a boxing club, but I think once a month they did a, a special evening with a licensed counselor who came in to talk about grief. And so sometimes we just, you know, want to pound it out. So there's all kinds of, you know, ways of healthily, you know, expressing our grief. We cry. I encourage some of, I've actually encouraged some of my clients to take a drive, go to a park where you're going to be, feel safe, but feel alone. And just scream at the top of your lungs, keening. You're talking about that wailing that's called keening. It's like this. It's a sound and an expression that's too deep for words. And we need to let that out. We need to get that out often. It's And with this ongoing loss, it's not just a one yeah. and done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, now I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It'll make you feel better for a short time, you know. But there there needs to be something that you can actively move your grief. Find a grief therapist, you know, somebody who can actually help you process. You don't need Are to Are there be... very many people trained to do that? Well, <laughs> that is a good question. In my understanding and experience, not many that are specialized in grief. My husband is a licensed mental health counselor. And even in his schooling, they were not required at all to take any courses on grief. Not one. And I find it surprising. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yes. Because, you know, for mental health, they have to be generalist. So they just touch on so many things. And yet, when people with this type of grief go to a counselor, they may be treated like they have depression or treated with just, well, think more positively about it. Now, granted, that has its place, but 
often grief needs to be expressed before it can move to a healthier realm. And if you don't have that outlet to just be honest and not feel like someone's needing to fix you right away, it can be harmful. Well, because often the person who would be willing to be there with you and come alongside and listen grows weary of it. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so then they're like, okay, time to move on. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. maybe you're not ready. (laughs) So Yeah, exactly. And I've even with death losses and other types of losses, I have some people that have come to me and that's been their thing. They say, I feel like I'm wearing out my friends, which is just heartbreaking. And granted, whether that's real or perceived, the effect is the same. They don't feel free to speak and speak ongoing about it. And so I think with ongoing loss, like these ambiguous losses, people, you know, are, again, our culture is just not well-trained. Our churches are not well-trained. Our ministries are not well-trained to know how to walk long-term with those carrying these weights throughout their life. And so... Yeah, to to process grief, we need to name it, feel it, express it. Of course, I'm just this is this is a flyby, right? This is not uh, yes, I, I know <laughs> that. Conclusive. Listeners, you know that too now. Yeah, <laughs> these are just ways to kind of get you started. So name it, feel it, express it, and then lastly, we need to ponder it. Okay, I'm a fan of pondering. <laughs> But I'm not sure I see that. So can can you explain mm-hmm. what you mean? Yeah. Well, as we were talking about before, that pain is trying to get our attention. This deep kind of pain we're talking about and the deep kind of suffering that we're talking about parents living with, it has a way of bringing to the surface some of the deepest existential questions in life, questions on the meaning of life. Why am I even here? If I can't raise a kid who, whatever, you know, what what good am I? It shuffles our priorities. Yes, that's true. It would shuffle them. <laughs> Grief always <clears throat> shuffles the priorities and it exposes what we value for good or for ill. And so there's a lot of adjusting going on. And many times we have questions for God in times of crisis. The God we thought we knew didn't come through the way we thought he would. Or should. Or should. (laughs) Exactly. And so even though questions, you you feel like, well, what good does it do to ask these questions of God? You know, he does what he wants to do. Or, you know, I've heard a lot of people kind of dismiss this whole concept of pondering. But I guess I would invite you and suggest that Asking those questions takes you on a different path than not asking. Can you open that up just a little more? By not asking, it's if you think of any relationship, if you don't ask some clarification in an argument or (laughs) a disagreement or whatever, you can only go so far. Right. And so in the same way, in a spiritual sense, when we're not willing to ask God those questions, even if we don't think there's going to be an answer, all we do is shut it down. 
And when we shut down those questions, because, well, I got to keep my faith intact. I can't, it's not okay to ask God or it's whatever that reason may be. We basically are closing off a part of our hearts in this intimate relationship with God. So we need to ask those questions. We need to ponder. What... So many people don't feel they have permission that it's wrong to doubt God like that, or it's, mm-hmm. and we don't feel that we can be honest about our pain, our loss, our anger, or the why, are God, why? And mm-hmm. I would love to make, you know, that's one of my messages is God's okay. He can handle it. <laughs> we're not already. ever going to be too much for him. He already knows. It's not like we're covering up or hiding something. <laughs> You know, so basically when you ponder these things and when you're honest about your pain with God, oh my goodness, that is what Jesus can relate to. He knows the suffering. He knows the betrayal. He knows murder. He knows those things. And if we do not bring that part of us, we talk about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. This is what we're talking about. We are sharing suffering. It may not be exactly as Jesus experienced it, but he's experienced it as we experience it. Well, and it's he's sharing in our suffering, too. It's a coming together. and, And knowing that sometimes, you know, God's so big and so righteous and everything and but Jesus, at least we know, suffered greatly. And so we know that he isn't just compassionate in the ethereal sense, but he's mm-hmm. he can be there because he has been there. And so he's one that will not try to shut down your tears. He's not quick to offer you a Kleenex box. He's not quick to, <laughs> you know, say, well, you know, let's go for a drive. Jesus allows you he to sit. He sits with us. He sits with us. He accompanies us in our sorrow, in our grief. And I wonder, you know, we ultimately grief is a very spiritual journey. It's kind of a other other type. Yes. It takes us out of this world into something else. And uh, we tend to think of, in this culture anyway, we tend to think of terms of getting over it, or needing to let go. What if instead of letting go, we saw it more like letting in? What if we pondered what grief might want to show us about ourselves, about our loved one, about life, about God? What if we saw grief more as a doorway, not something to be gotten over or fixed? And this type of processing is critical if you have hopes of integrating your new reality into your current life. You can continue to stay in the past of dreaming, or you can be so distraught and just feel like it's all over. But we want to integrate our sorrow with living because they're all in the same heart. That's... 
a really helpful thought. I, I want to make it a little more practical. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so you have somebody whose child has overdosed and not lived through it, and the loss is pretty much unbearable. The death of dreams, the death of love, because they're gone. So. Right. You're saying wonderful things to walk through this and not just stuff it down mm-hmm. or be cheerful, but to enter in with the grief. Mm-hmm. So if you were talking to one of my prodigal lovers, <laughs> what would you say? I know you've given us an outline in a sense, mm-hmm. but how would you approach that with them to get them on that path to be able to grow and learn and become and not be stifled by it, not be stopped in life, but be able to have new life come even from grief? Well, obviously, timing is everything, right? (laughs) Um, Yes. Initially, I would, if I were meeting with this individual, I would listen and I would ask questions about their loved one. And I would ask questions about the journey that they've been on. I would ask questions about their hoped for dreams that have been dashed. We would go through, you know, just unpacking years, perhaps, of pain and sorrow and disappointments. And you can't think of healing until you've kind of been, and this, and I don't mean it quite like this, of you need to clean out the wound, but part of that healing of cleaning, there is clean pain and dirty pain. There is clean grief and dirty grief, right? And in these type of situations, there's a lot of dirty grief that gets in there. Feeling responsible, feeling like if I'd done this, then that. And clean grief, you know, is I've just lost my son. I've just lost my daughter. I don't even care about eating or sleeping it would be fine if I didn't wake up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Those aren't necessarily suicidal thoughts of, you know, suicidal ideation. It is just the reality. I am so crushed. I don't know how I will go on. So for quite some time, that is the journey we will take. And as they begin to ask questions, then we just explore those questions one by one together, giving them plenty of room to, meander all through all the mazes and there may not be this bright clear solution at the end but it's again that presence with someone and years after I would maybe ask them about their loved one by name say their name oh absolutely it's it's, It's a hard thing it is a hard thing and so it's this ongoing Their loss is ongoing, and we need to come around those who are suffering at such deep levels and show compassion. And how would you pray for that person? One of the main things we talk about is prayer is your way to make a difference, to bring about change, to engage all that God has offered us in this journey. And so this would be a place where people would pray, but I wonder how we pray at such times. I, of course, that would be very individual, you know, to the, the person, their loss, whatever. But I would think 
you know, just praying for great grace, praying for safe people good. to surround That's them. Very good. Because how we handle someone in that acute time of grief may determine whether they come back to church or not. I'm not kidding. I meet with many people who oh, absolutely. have left the church or left faith because of people like you and me, believers. So, yeah. you know, I pray for safe people. I pray for surprises from God that are very personal. I pray for answers, if there are answers, that they would be revealed either now or in time. Yeah, you just pray as the Spirit leads you, as you know those people or know their situations. And I would pray that they would not go the American route and stuff their grief. I would pray that they would allow this grief over time, over a long time, to expand their world. And it always does. That's great. That's really helpful. Because the last thing they need to hear, which they hear, is it's time for you to get over this. And they're not on anyone's timetable, but their own with God. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. any last thoughts or comments? I don't know. There's an interesting concept by a, a gentleman. His name escapes me right now. That's okay. Um, it happens to me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he describes they're not really stages. They're kind of loosely like phases of grief, but <clears throat> I think it applies in this sense uh, of ambiguous loss that we have the initial loss, okay, whatever that is. <clears throat> and uh, child leaves home. Child makes really bad decision. Child, you know, there's this initial shock. There's this initial loss. And so we have a grief that responds to that initial loss. And then there is a very long, and again, it's very individual, a very long season of losing. Every time we think about them, every time mm -hmm. we get a note, every time we see somebody, you know, it could be you see one of their classmates, but and who's doing super well, you know, it's just this continual losing, a reminder of what is no longer your reality and no longer your opportunity. And then if we engage with grief and not fight it, we actually can get to a place of what is called loosening. So there's the loss, the losing, and eventually this loosening. That's great. I like that. Very helpful. Francis Weller. <laughs> there it is. Say, the oh, okay. The yeah, name Dr. came. Dr. Yes. Dr. Frank. It does that to me all the time. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. in a minute, sometimes in an hour. Mm -hmm. But Well, let me talk to the listeners as we wrap up then. You've heard Dana share a lot of things, and almost all of us who love a prodigal are at some place in a grief journey. Um, some we've come a long way on it, and and yet there are still steps to take and losses uh, that are painful to us. So I encourage you, as she has shared a lot of ideas with us, uh, to to think, all right, what could I apply now? What can I do? Who can I talk to that would be 
a compassionate companion uh, in this conversation and um, began to make uh, that part of your grief journey. Don't feel the pressure to solve it all, but to give it time to work through and to be give permission to yourself to to grieve and to work through it. Um, we'll have some of Dana's resources listed in the show notes, and and so be sure and check there and click on something that looks interesting to you that you could read or watch or um, understand better. So thank you, Dana. Thank you so much um, for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you could be with us because I know that you were speaking to the heart of every one of our listeners. Mm -hmm. Because if you love a prodigal, no matter where in the journey it is and how old they are or if they're children or if they're other people that you care about, um, it, you've given uh, hope and some, some tangible help of ways to walk through that and not condemn yourself because you didn't get over it fast enough and didn't handle it better. So uh, thank you. I'm really grateful for that. And um, let me say, as I always do to my listeners, if this conversation or this episode has been helpful to you, uh, let's make sure others know about it. And so tell your friends so they can listen to it or be nice to me and and go and rate the the podcast and write a review for what a wonderful guest Judy had on her podcast uh, with with Dana Russo. Um, thank you, bless you. <laughs>